Hello, and welcome to the fourth installment of Studies in Shadow. I am your host, Jack Rogers, and as always, I am joined by my fantastic co-host, Noah Bazoo. Say hi, Noah. Yeah, yeah, it's me. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Awesome. So, we didn't have a cold open for this one, because this week we're going to be talking about ancestral spirits. Uh, But before we go into that, we have a couple business items to go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was some reaction to our... Our, uh, what did we talk about last week? Salem Witch Trials? Salem Witch Trials, yeah. Yeah, I'm, my memory must be shot today. It's late. <laughs> it's late. It's 1121 where we're at. PM. And so a friend sent a message to us on Facebook uh, in relation to our Salem Witch Trials. And I, she asked me to change her name. So I'm going to change her name to Tammy. Now, for those of you listening, I can't think of many friends I have named Tammy. So have fun decoding that one. Uh, she has an ancestor named Rebecca as well. Mm. Like like I do, uh, Rebecca Nurse. She has Rebecca, uh, but she didn't want me to share the full name because it's kind of a stain on her family history. Oh, dang. Uh, but when you search her full name, Rebecca, and then her rest of her name, it just brings up the witch. Like the it, movie? It auto No, it auto-completes the search and adds Rebecca, da-da-da, the witch. Oh. Yeah, so she's pretty well-known. Dang. Yeah, so she was born in sixteen on, in 1629 in Connecticut, and she died in 1662, 32, at age 32, 33. They don't know where she's buried. Uh, Is she buried? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is she still alive? Dude, you're jumping the gun. <laughs> I hear something outside. <laughs> oh, fetch. No, don't say that. So <laughs> she, she writes... Uh, first off, if you Google her full name, the witch shows up as the rest of the search. So, yeah. Rebecca seems to have lived her whole life in Connecticut. She was married three times and had two known children. Rebecca married her first husband in 1644. He died four years later in f- 1648. Rebecca married her second husband later in 48, but also died early into their but he also died early into their marriage in 1652. Rebecca married for the third and final time in 1662 it seems they had no children together this marriage had to have been difficult because her husband was a thief stealing a number of things like a bushel and a half of wheat and a hoe (laughs) as well as a liar (laughs) don't laugh at that (laughs) (laughs) as well as a liar lying in court you know like a liar john mulaney um He also had battery counts against him. Goodness gracious. With all this, he owned at least two properties, one a 20-acre farm where they lived. Rebecca was not popular in her town, with the Reverend himself having some harsh words to say about her. The Reverend is quoted as saying she was a, quote, lewd, ignorant, and considerably aged woman. (laughs) Close quote. Tell him how you really feel. Remember, she died at approximately 33. (laughs) Uh, Her town seemed to have seemed to have had enough of her, and a neighbor accused her of witchcraft. I mean, it only had to happen. Oh, yeah. They also accused her and her husband of being, quote-unquote, possessed by the evil one. Oh, good stuff. At her trial before the town court, Rebecca not only confessed to witchcraft and the charges before her, but to other things that they didn't know of. During that interview, she confessed that she and other townsfolk she named knew the devil. She had promised to go with the devil when he had called for her and that she made plans to meet with the devil over Christmas to sign a covenant to him. Oh, boy. Yeah. She also indicated that her husband was involved in the matters and insinuates that hellhounds helped him do the farm work. 
That's pretty dang cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, burning, <laughs> slobber everywhere and stuff like that, yeah. you know, but they can help you pull the pull the hoe. Pull the wagon. Pull the wagon, <laughs> but don't burn the crops. Right. All this and a confession meant that both Rebecca and her husband were sentenced to death on Gallows Hill, a bluff just north of what is now Trinity College. The bluff has a high, sheer cliff to the ground below. This area was chosen for the hanging because it provided a great view for the whole town to come watch. Oh my gosh. <laughs> At least they have aesthetics. I hate that this was spectacle. Um, <laughs> when she and her husband died, I believe her daughters were teenagers. Aww. And then she says, on a spookier note, and something I'll leave at your discretion to share, I'm sharing it, Tammy. <laughs> there is an old family secret that we speculate has ties to this story. My great-great-grandfather, and she didn't know about the great, so she put a parentheses and question mark, mm -hmm. had a secret about his mother that he refused to tell anyone, including his wife. He took it to his grave with never telling a soul. We speculate that perhaps she was involved in witchcraft. Or, though more far-fetched, my theory is that since there's no recorded burial for Rebecca, maybe she never really died. Uh. Maybe the secret was that his mother was Rebecca. Or a host of other more realistic things that every family has. Nah, I, I want to go for the supernatural one. Yeah. I prefer that. Now, all that's a lot, and my dad was really glad that it was all behind us in the family, but then he realized, she put that in all caps, that his aunt is constantly posting quote-unquote spells oh boy. on social media and may or may not be a Wiccan. She's that, she's that Facebook friend. <laughs> you just see everything on their post 20 I times guess. a day. Uh, so it's still in our family in some form to this day. Dang, Tammy, that's a really good thing to share. Thank you. Yeah. That's Throwback awesome. last week. Right? Right over into so it. So we, we, uh, we had to include that in this week's oh, podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I wanted to issue a correction on something I said last week. I shared how, you know, Re Rebecca Nurse is my ancestor. That is true. And then I said I was related to a judge who ruled in favor of an accused witch, witch and yeah. got her exonerated. Yeah, yeah. That was half true. My dad corrected me after the podcast. What actually happened was after the witch trials, an, a, a lady who was accused of being a witch sued her accuser for slander. Get him. <laughs> and won. Heck yeah. Because my ancestor was the judge who ruled in her favor. So you ancestor was a judge though. Yes, my ancestor was a judge who ruled in favor of an accused witch. Okay. Just after the trials were over and it was for slander, not for witchcraft. And she won. And she won. That's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Justice is served. But like I said, this week we will be we we will be talking about ancestral spirits. Um, this one was really hard to research. I don't know if you went to YouTube and looked up ancestral spirits, but no. everything that came up was like how to tell when your ancestral spirits are around. It's all these really groovy looking YouTube thumbnails <laughs> like like pictures of angels and whatnot i'm like Ugh. i don't know if i can trust these they don't look like that I'm so i went to wikipedia and a number of other sites Bro, i already wrote it i'm just kidding right so uh why don't, why don't you start <laughs> you're having a great day today man oh you're just on fire oh why don't you start us off with what you learned about ancestral spirits. I mean, like you said, there's a ton of stuff. I do my best not to look at videos just because I feel like if it's one of those things like how to how to DIY, how to summon your, you know, <laughs> your ancestors and ask them where they hid the stash, you know, things like that, you know, 
I don't I don't trust those kinds of things because yeah. I'm like, man, I'm gonna do some Charlie Charlie challenge and get attacked by a demon or something like that. So I, I'd rather not do that. Way to jump back to 2014. Bro, <laughs> it's a long time, man. Yeah. I still have nightmares. I'm just kidding. So the thing that I, one of the first things that I'll share, is, and obviously we both have a lot of stuff, um, the like earliest, and I'm sure a lot of people already guessed this, earliest like known worship of ancestors, and I'm sure it goes back even farther than this, but the, like the earliest known ancestors like being worshipped is back in China in like mm-hmm. the Neolithic period. And it was really popular, obviously. And it's one of the only like uh, religious practices that's continuously gone through all Chinese um, religions. Mm-hmm. That's not really changed at all. Yeah. Whereas other things may change, it's not. Um, and it's gotten, you know, if anything, stronger with like the modern day. And just, I mean, we all, I, when I read this, I just instantly thought of Mulan. And obviously, mm-hmm. like, I love Disney. I love Mulan. Dishonor so. on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. On your cow. Now, I just remember the scene where she, um, where, you know, she goes up to, like, the site where, like, or, like, the uh, her little, like, temple or shrine where all their ancestors, like, oh, I don't know if yeah. they're buried or anything like that there or it's yeah. just, like, their place. And, like, they're all, like, you know, looking blue and stuff like that. I, I haven't seen Mulan in years. It's so probably just, my favorite Disney princess movie. If People say Mulan's not a princess. Yeah, yes, she's she a, is. She's a freaking warrior, she's bro. A, she's amazing. She's what she is. She's my favorite. Um, yeah, they're all just hanging out up there and just chilling out and just talking about like, you know, back in my day, this thing was this thing. And they're talking about like, man, I can't believe her hair looks like that. You know, just like totally judging her. And yeah. Like, but it's funny. It's like, you know, coy. And I just like thought of that. I'm like, man, Disney, you, you did it pretty well there. You did it pretty well. Because that's like what they did. It was such a spiritual thing for them. Mm-hmm. Such an important aspect of their religion. That they just, you know, it's one of those things that's never changed for them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, like I said, like the the earliest time was like the Neolithic period in like, I think it's the Yangshao society. Um, you know, those kinds of like old, old, old timey um, Chinese dynasties. Um, that's like when we can look back and see that that's like the oldest times that they did it. But like I said, I'm sure it was back even farther. Like it's one of those, you know, cultures where if it did it back then, it's probably gone on longer than mm-hmm. that. So that's just one of the first things I learned. For sure. Was how cool it was in like ancient China. Yeah. So I couldn't find as much. I mean, I found some history, more just like modern cultural practices. Mm. Um, there's a common factor that in lore, uh, ancestral spirits can visit or be summoned. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been demonstrated in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Mulan, you saw it. In Coco, there's a huge ancestral spirit element. We'll be talking about that later. I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> what? Sorry. Just you haven't seen Coco? Keep going. Don't even stop here. Noah. Don't know. They're all going to hate me now. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. <laughs> you, you get to just nod gonna, your head and go along. You're going to ask me, be like, have you seen that scene? I'll be like... No. No, I'll just talk about uh, uh, El Dia de los Muertos. Hey, I thought um, about that too. Yeah, because that's that's not – I mean, that's in Coco, but mm-hmm. at least you know about it. Hey. So good spirits were seen as guardians while evil spirits were thought to attack people. Um, something I found was that they could act – the good spirits could act as psychopomps. And I know you have a story about this. Or spirit guides to help a recently deceased person transition to the afterlife. Mm. Absolutely. Do you want me to share that story? 
Uh, right now, let's let's wait yeah, a little like, bit. Let's let's talk about what we know. You gave about me the look, and I was first. like, wait, is that I, the cue? I look <laughs> at you most of the time during this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so let's see, home altars of the deceased. That's in a lot of different cultures. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, El Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Filipino cultures. In it's found in Sri Lanka and Thailand and Vietnam. If any of those countries are actually the same country and I'm just naming a city, I'm going to be real embarrassed. Uh, So something you'd find in most of these cultures are carved figures meant to represent the deceased kept on an altar uh, or, you know, the things that the spirit liked. And so I brought up Coco. This Mm -hmm. is is my notes where I brought up Coco and El Dia de los Muertos. They have altars called ofrendas, which is like a table... Mm -hmm or a little shrine almost to that person. It's got their picture on it, things that they love. And it was supposed to help their ancestor find them and celebrate with them. And that was the Mm. thing too in Latino and Hispanic culture is that death is viewed as a very positive thing. It's not dreaded so much. I mean, obviously you're going to be sad when your abuela dies, but you know that she's going to come visit you on on the day of the dead. And what's funny is this, this is kind of a non sequitur. Did I use that right? Non sequitur? I think so. In terms of Trek vernacular. Yeah. You used it right. What's vernacular? I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm using big words without knowing what they mean. Uh, A lot of experts, quote unquote, I have to say that commonly believe that Ouija boards are not a smart way to contact a diseased rel- uh, diseased diseased I mean they well, might disease have been diseased disease goes to deceased yeah wow that's that's profound uh, <laughs> right <book> um, <laughs> deceased relative uh, mainly that's because instead of like building an ofrenda and whatnot to help that specific ancestor find you a Ouija board is just kind of like an open door and to everything yeah you know how humans can lie yeah. Spirits can lie too and say they're your ancestor. It's like, hey, it's me, Uncle Bob. It's like, man, Uncle Bob, you sound way different than last time. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I'm not totally a demon. Just it's like, dude, weren't out. you from Georgia? You're supposed to have a Georgian accent. It, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, That's not a Georgian accent. I'm just <laughs> Gosh, dang it. <laughs> so, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you may. What is the what is the thing called? Ofrenda? Is it Ofrenda, yeah. Ofrenda. Like okay. offering. Let's say, this is off, off the cuff, let's just say you die. Oh, I knew you were going to ask this. What? I know. I was like, <laughs> as soon as you said, let's just say, I'm like, he's going to ask about my ofrenda. Yeah. What do you think? Two things. Tell me two things that you'd expect to be on there. And it doesn't have to be like, it can be like food. It doesn't have to be like, oh, it's fresh. Oh, no. food. Um, no, it can be anything. Salmon. Like fresh salmon from I, Seattle. I could have guessed that actually. Yeah. yeah. And, um, oh, I wouldn't get much use out of my Xbox, would I? <laughs> uh, controller. Uh, uh, just a straight up controller. Um, I don't know. What do you think would be it? What would you put on my ofrenda if I were dead? <laughs> I was going to say something really mean, but then I was like, no. It wasn't actually mean. It was more like poi. Uh, I definitely would put, I mean, your picture would already be there. Yeah. I think, <laughs> oh man, I think I would put like one of those uh, those books where it's like, how to make people laugh for dummies. <laughs> Just because, like, for those of you who don't know, Jack's a comedian. He's in, like, a, a comedy group. And probably 
I don't want to say you're, you're one of the funniest ones, but in, in my opinion, my biased opinion is your friend. I can say that because anybody would say that. Well, thank you. But the guy, you're hilarious. You really are. And I think I would put that on there just as like a gag. So when you did show up, you'd be like, you punk. And <laughs> just be like, hey, you're dead. You, you probably should learn how to be funny. And, you and dummy. The, in the afterlife. Oh, my one gosh. One of the yellow ones. Uh, put some salmon on there. And then. Slap dang. a salmon on the book. <laughs> Perfect combo. Oh, ew, dude. That would go so bad. <laughs> and then, oh, man. I put some sunglasses on there, some really nice ones. Oh yeah, you, yeah. You know, I only own one pair, right? Yeah, but they're really nice ones. They are the sunglasses. Yeah, I work at I work at Sunglass Hut. You always have really nice ones, so I have the the really the one pair that's really nice. That's a really nice pair. <laughs> well, Every you. time I see you, you're wearing them. I'm just like, I'd wear them too. Oh yeah, I love my red Ray Ban Aviators. Yeah, just to show us how Glass much money you have. Glass polarized lenses. Mm. Oh, okay, I have a there. discount there, and it was my birthday when I got them, so I thought I'd treat myself. <laughs> so let me ask you then, what would you put on mine? I will. I will disagree. A bowling ball. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> no one works in a bowling alley. I don't care that much about. Bowling. I know. Oh my I know. gosh! It um, just takes up the whole space, cracks the altar. Just kidding. Oh my goodness! I'm trying to think. I'm about to see what kind of friend you are. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna say really, really rude things to put on your friend. <laughs> um, put some Rogaine because you're going bald. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. See, I'm, I can't be mean. <laughs> I can do it to myself, though. <laughs> Self-degrading humor. It's the best. It's the best. Um, it's page one for dummies. Yeah. Right? Oh, straight up, I would put, like, a really funny movie that we both laugh about. Like, we j- literally just quoted Nacho Libre. <laughs> yeah. It's the best. It's the best. Love it. The Lord's chips. So a funny movie, for sure. I want to say I'd put a, an Xbox controller up there. Put a Speedo. Just because. Yeah. Or I'd just put your wife on the ofrenda. Because you love her. <laughs> That's kind of awful. <laughs> just like, what are you doing, Jack? Just, shh. Just, uh, just sit here for a few hours. Uh, Why? I, just because. I'm just like, you're going to die soon, Sam, too. <laughs> at that point, we're both old. No, I think I'd have a, either like a funny movie, like you said, I'd have a violin, uh, a speedo, because I do some <coughs> water polo. Bro, oh, it's clever. Uh, a violin. sample of chlorine water. It, it's just a little like shot glass of it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I just lost it. Oh, yeah. A box of, uh, it's an empty box, but it's a Panda Express box because it is the best food oh, my goodness. ever made. Don't at me. <laughs> oh my goodness! Sorry, I had to ask that question. Just oh, it's like, a good this, one. This it's is a, a good perfect one. thing to ask. If, if I had more time, I could have probably thought of more clever things to put on there. But I'm put on the spot, and I can't answer questions very well on the spot. <laughs> That's why I write notes in my phone for these episodes. How to answer questions on the spot for dummies? Oh my goodness! Actually, I'm reading that right now, so you can't have it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you have anything else to add about uh, about you know? Oh, you you can tell your story now if you'd like. Because then after that, we are going to be hearing from a good family friend, Malia, who we go way back, and she's going to share some ancestral family, fam, fam, ancestral spirits. I can speak today. Ancestral family spirit stories? Yes. I can English. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you want to share your story yeah. right now about yeah. the ancestral spirit? What was the thing you called it? You uh, made a reference to it Oh, earlier. psychopomp. Psychopomp. That sounds just like a still weird word. It sounds like a metal punk band. Yeah. That's like, oh man, I'm gonna We go. are Psychopomp. 
I'm going to coin that. I'm going to freaking TM. What do you call that? Trademark? Trademark that. There we go. <laughs> Make tons of money off of it. Anybody who says it, I'm like, nope, that's my band. Um, no, so my psychopomp. That, that's yeah. how you say it? Okay, that's yeah. that word. Uh, it's just a kind of a really, it's a really cool story. Um, I don't want to go into all the little details or anything like that, but uh, my mom's the youngest of seven. It's a big family. Wow. Yeah, wow, so many people. Um, yeah, anyway, her uh, her dad was, pa- her dad passed away, my grandpa, and he was a f- fantastic guy. I loved him to death. He was so <coughs> funny. I've got, I hate you for that. <laughs> I didn't even realize it until you said it. Um, I didn't even say anything. <laughs> you laughed. <laughs> no. uh, loved him. And uh, shut up. Anyway, he you know, he's an old person. Um, it was just time for him to go. He was very, very old. He'd seen all of his kids grow up and all of them, all of them, uh, you know, have kids of their own and stuff like that. So he'd lived a very, very fulfilling long life. He's one of those people that I look back on and just like, man, like what a guy. Like, his mm-hmm. whole life, he was awesome. And he was very old at the end of his life. Anyway, so he uh, he's in the hospital, and, you know, everybody kind of knows that it's kind of getting close to the time. And it just comes, like, down to it when he gets put in hospice. We're like, okay, it's going to be the end of it. So mm-hmm. all the family gathers together, all seven of his kids with their spouses, with their kids, and just a huge group of people in this hospital room. And it was packed. Anyway, we're, uh, we're in there. And everyone's sitting around my grandpa, and we're just talking to him because we know what's going to happen. They're going to turn down the oxygen and turn up, you know, whatever, like, the sleeping chemical is or however it works just to put him to sleep because it's the end. And he knows it, and he's okay with it because he's like, yeah, I've been a long, good life. He wasn't scared at all. It was really nice. Anyway, we're all in there, and it's it's a very sad moment because, you know, like, everyone is kind of crying and stuff like that. I don't think I was crying too much just because I feel like because of, like, the way I was raised and the way I believe in my, like, mm-hmm. faith, I see death as more like... Almost like, you know, people who live in Dia de los Muertos. It's like, you know. It's just, it's just a step. It's a step. It happens to everybody. And I know there's this thing on the other side. So at that point, it's just like, you know what? It's okay. I'm sad you're gone. But at the same time, it's like, man, you're old. You're trapped in that body. You can't do anything. You know, you're, you're restricted to like this, this, this bed for the last couple months, couple years. You know, go. Get your wings, whatever. Anyway, they start doing all this stuff. Grandpa starts to fall asleep. Yada, yada, yada. And he uh, he starts fading off. And there's about a, t- a minute period where he's just not saying anything. We're all convinced it's, it's over. The, the pulse is dropping significantly on the machine, obviously. And we're like, okay, it's over. And all of a sudden, he just kind of like, <clears throat> like sits back up, you know, clears his throat, and everyone's like, oh, Grandpa or Mel, whatever, and stuff like that. And he just like looks around the room kind of confused, and we're all like, are you okay? You know, once again, this is a packed room and everyone's like super excited. They're like, oh, he's back from the dead or something like that. I'm like, it's only been a minute, guys. Like, anyway. His heart didn't even stop. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. It just got really, really low. Anyway, he's sitting there and he kind of looks around the room and he's like, where's John? And everyone's kind of really confused by that. And they're like, John? Who, who's John? He's like, John, he was just in here. And everyone's like, Grandpa, there's, there's no John or Dad, there's no John. And, you know, this is my mom's dad. So she married into my family. So everybody else there has a different name from what I do. And he says... Uh, and aren't none of them religious? Well, they're religious, but like in, the, in their own ways. And yeah. a couple of them are not religious, but that's okay. Um, you know, he, he says... Um, 
Am I allowed to say my name on here? I don't even know if I'm allowed to say my last name. I'm allowed to, aren't I? I've already introduced. Oh yeah, doubt. Like, are we allowed to say that? I was like, I forgot if we were allowed to. Okay, yeah, yeah. go for it. He says so. The Bazoo family is not part of like their family. His daughter, so my mother, married into our family, obviously. Anyway, he says no, John Bazoo. And everyone's so confused because in that room of like 30 people, there's only like five who have that last name, Bazoo. It's me and my family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone immediately turns and looks at us and we're kind of sitting there. I'm not going to lie. I definitely had a smirk on my face because I knew what was happening. Kind of, but mm-hmm. not totally. But I was like... Something. You had an idea. Yeah. I, one of those tender mercies from like from God. And I'm sitting there. I'm kind of like, oh man, something good's about to happen here. And... My grandpa goes, yeah, John Bazoo, he just left. And one of my aunts says, do you mean Mike? Michael? Which is my dad's name. And he's like, nope, John. And they're like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, John Bazoo. He just, he was just here. He left and he said, I'll be right back to take care of you. I'll make sure you, I'll make sure I take care of you and get you where you need to go. And everyone's kind of looking at us very confused. And there's a few irritated looks from the group. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm like huge grin on my face. Cause I'm like, man, John Bazoo is like, a relative of mine. Coming like, in clutch. Yeah, like from generations back. I don't know if it's two or three great-grandparents back. Maybe four generations back on my dad's side, who's been dead for so long. And I'm just like, man, this is like a huge moment for like my mother and my whole family. Because my grandpa did not know who John Bazoo was. There was no reason for him to. He didn't even know he existed. You know, obviously he didn't know him because he was dead. But here he is. He's just telling my grandpa, he's like, hey, I got you. Don't worry about this. And it was just so cool because it's like my dad's family, my dad's ancestor was there to take care of my mom's ancestor because of that, like, you know, that, yeah, it's super cute. That family reunion kind of thing where it's like, hey, like, I might not know you, you might not know me, but because of those two, you know, Mm -hmm. my parents, uh, we're we're family Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm here to take care of you and we're going to get you where you need to go. And John was a really good guy from all accounts of what I've heard. So it's like, man, that's a cool thing. And then my grandpa passed away. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things where it's like, man, that's awesome. Like, good on you. And so my mother was not worried after that. She was really scared about, like, you know, what my grandpa believed in and, like, the afterlife. But after that happened, she's like, I know he's fine. Mm -hmm. Because he had no idea who that was. So it must be something amazing happening to him. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long, drawn-out story. No, I like it. That's a great story. Yeah, it was very, very powerful. Very, very awesome moment. I I have a pretty short one. I've never actually told you this story. I'm ready for this one. I have a pretty short one before we get on the phone with Malia. Um, So when my mother was in labor with me, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the family was there at the hospital, including my great-grandmother. Okay. Now, her... Husband, my great grandfather, had died two weeks prior. Aww. And so she was sitting in the waiting room kind of by herself. She had some other family with her. I think my maternal grandmother was there as well. Hmm. And while my mother was in labor, my great grandma fell asleep. And she had a dream. And in this dream, she saw her husband. He was in all white and looked like he was in some sort of heavenly space. Hmm. And he was signing my soul out of the nursery. Really? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, like he That's was, awesome. He was he was taking my soul out of the I guess the spirit world nursery. Kindergarten. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, to take take my soul 
and send it down to earth. And right when she woke up is when I was born. That's so cool. Right? He's like, he's like, ah, oh, don't worry. He's like, I can sign out for him. How do you know him? I'm his grandpa or great I'm his great grandpa. He's like, oh, okay. I trust you. Yeah, but she saw him and she saw her husband and he was just like really happy. And he, I think in the dream, he either was signing me out or he like picked my soul up and was holding me. Mm. And then he started to escort me. That's too. awesome. He's like telling you, he's like, well, it's going to be different for you than it was for me, but you'll have fun. You're like, wait, what's about to happen? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> where, where am Hold I going up. Wait, again? can I have some explanation? <laughs> um, nope. Get down. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that correlates with the rest of our canon beliefs, but I think it's pretty cool. No, um, that's really cool. I really like it. Do you it. have like a connection to him you feel like? Like, do you have like other experiences with that? Or no. do you feel like a connection with him at all? I, you know, I don't even know what he looks like. I, I mean, I've probably seen pictures of him. but It doesn't, doesn't, like, discount it or anything. I'm just wondering. No. Because, you know, I, some people are like, I feel such a strong connection. But, I mean, like, he probably just did his job. He's like, I'm going to get him where he's supposed to go. Yeah. So a psychopomp to get me into life instead of yeah. out of life. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe when I die, he'll be there. <laughs> Hi, Grandpa. Anyway. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else to add before we call up Malia? No, I'm super excited to hear from her. All right. Fantastic. Well, then let's call her up. So on the phone with us right now, we have Malia. Malia is an, a very old family friend of ours. We go way back. Her husband was actually my dad's drama teacher throughout high school. So there's a lot of history there. How you doing, Malia? Doing great. How are you, Jack? I'm doing so well. Thank you. Uh, so we understand that you have some stories that you are going to share with us tonight. I'd love to. Um, I'll start with growing up in Hawaii, Jack grew up in Hawaii too and you know that there's always a lot of talk story where families share stories and so I grew up in an interesting uh, neighborhood our elementary school was built between three graveyards a Buddhist graveyard a Hawaiian graveyard and then just a you know non-denominational graveyard Mm -hmm. and so they decided they were going to build a high-rise a 50-story high-rise on the Hawaiian graveyard, and they moved all the bodies, and then they built the high-rise, and shortly thereafter, there was a suicide off of one of the um, balconies, and I remember as a kid going to school, and you'd always hear the story, plus our school was really, really old. It was one of these old wooden plaster two-story buildings, and you could kind of feel the floor sink as you walked. In fact, it was just a couple of years into um, my fifth grade year that they actually knocked the whole thing down and uh, built a new school because the, the old one was just so old they couldn't repair it. But we loved ghost stories. It was the perfect campus to tell ghost stories. And we would be down in the basement for a lot of different clubs, <laughs> and it was spooky. So, of like course, basements. somebody decided we had to do Bloody Mary. So I remember doing that and everybody just screaming like crazy. But one night it was interesting. We're Mormon and we were having family home meeting. And the topic of spirits came up. And my I remember it vividly because my father and my older sister, she's seven years older. She'd be about 19 at that time. They just started sharing story after story. And these are family stories that I'd never heard before. And, of course, I was just riveted. I was fascinated. 
So my father, he was raised by his great, I mean, excuse me, by his aunt. And her name is, excuse me if I get it right, Mary Kaua Ohilo Bray. Sounds about right. And she was old-time Hawaiian. I mean, she, yes, her father was a Christian minister, but she actually had been also raised with the kuhuna arts, and she was blessed. This woman um, could speak to the dead, and she had visions. And so my father remembers at least two episodes where a family funeral would happen, and his aunt would get in the grave and tell the... She only spoke Hawaiian. Tell the family not to return, not to visit, because they'd scare the children. And then she'd crawl out, and (laughs) they'd bury the body. But my father remembers after his own father died, her brother-in-law, they were sitting downstairs, and they had old... Lauhala is like a woven mat on the ground, and because they're old leaves, palm leaves, when you step on it, they're really noisy. And so he and his aunt are downstairs. Nobody else is home. And he hears the rocking chair start rocking because it's on the mat and it's making noise. And he turns to his aunt and says, what's going on? And she says, well, your dad's here. And it was just like very common in their household. So later on, my aunt decides that she wants to see her boyfriend and she's grounded. And so she's in her room and my dad and his aunt are home and they get a call from her boyfriend and he calls to tell them that Margaret's at his house. And Mary's like, no, I can see her laying in bed. And he said, no, she's here. She was there disembodied. He was calling in a panic because he needed help. So Auntie prayed and um, used her Hawaiian slash Christian kahuna arts to return my aunt's soul to her body. Now, these are the stories. I'm sitting there just fascinated. My jaw is dropping. And story after story. And the one that affected my family the most my aunt started, great aunt, started having dreams that my father was going to get injured in an accident. And she was begging and crying and telling him not to go to work. Well, you know, this is right after the Great Depression. And my father went to work in eighth grade because his family was so poor. Mm-hmm. So he's got this job and he doesn't want to give it up. So he just tells her, you know, you're just an old superstitious woman. And what my father told me later was he really did think she was superstitious. And he was very much an agnostic, even though he'd been raised Catholic. Um, He would sleep in areas where night marchers were known to march because he wanted to see it. You know, he wanted to know if this stuff was real or not. And so, you know, nothing ever happened. He'd go home and his and would tell them, you're not going to see anything. That's not your gift. And my father just thought, you know, she was full of it. And so she's begging and pleading, I mean, for weeks for him to quit this job. And he won't do it. So the day he goes to work, she's literally on her hands and knees. She wraps her arms around his legs and begs him not to go to work. And my father shakes her off. 
goes to work, is involved with an industrial accident that day, and loses his right hand. Oh, no. Now, at this point, my father is a volleyball player, a ukulele player, an amateur boxer who's making the newspapers, and working as a stevedore. I mean, this completely wow. destroyed his life. That's awful. And the family story is that my aunt, my great aunt, rather, was the the guys from my dad's job came to tell her what had ha- what happened. The minute she saw the car pull into the drive, she was already on the ground sobbing because she knew. And, and so my dad said that that really changed him. It took a long time. He had to like live in the gutter for a while and rehabilitate himself before, before he finally really appreciated auntie's gifts. And so growing up, as I did, he would tell us that these things are real, that there are people that can see and speak with spirits. And so, um, you know, growing up with that and a father that, you know, truly believed that, it kind of made me look at the world slightly differently. Now, one story that my dad tells that I've heard other Hawaiians speak about, they're called... um, well, I told you about Aunt Margaret and her spirit leaving her body. That mm-hmm. is a common story in a lot of Hawaiian families. Another story are the holding spirits. So my father is at his desk at the Ko'olau Boys Home. Now, this place is notoriously haunted. It's a juvenile detention home for boys. Oh, yeah. And um, he's off on his break. He's at a desk. He puts his head down, and he couldn't raise his head. Now, my dad at this time is probably about 6'1", like 290, buff, and he couldn't raise his head. He was held down literally, arms, um, upper torso, and his head to the desk. And it took a while before whatever it was holding him left and he could get up. Mm, Wow. Uh, There was a famous newspaper columnist in Hawaii I wish I could remember her name right now. And I know my parents kept a copy of her article because she talks about a similar experience. She was outside running around. She lived on the big island and she was in the area where the night marchers march. And it was, you know, it's that time of day where the sun is setting. So it's starting to get dark and she's still outside and she hears these sounds, the people walking, but she doesn't see anything. And all of a sudden, she's thrown to the ground and held down, and she can't move. Oh, and she's hearing what sounds like people walking by her, but she can't really see anything. And the force is just holding her down, and she's not able to move, not able to lift her head. And then whatever force was holding her down whispers a name and then she's free. So she goes tearing off home as I would. She talks to her grandmother and her grandmother says, well, you need to know that that's, you know, that's a family name. And what you were experiencing in ancient Hawaii, I guess they were worried about assassinations. So the King, the Ali'i, you as a commoner could not look at them. You couldn't look at them. You couldn't have their shadow fall on you. To do so was kapu, and they could kill you. Wow. And so her, you know, her grandmother explained, you were being held down by a family member to protect you. 
And so it's just stories like that. If you, I found that the more you talk to people about their home life and their family, and um, if they've ever had any kind of supernatural experience, you get the most amazing stories. I was just in Hawaii recently last year, and I decided somewhere, something just told me, hey, you know, I should ask. And so I would talk about Grandma Kuuahilo and some of her experiences with my cousins. And each one, there were three of them that I felt like I should share this with. And all three of them share her gift. It was just random, too. I saw a ton of family. But um, my one cousin in particular was able to tell me that, especially when her mother was ill, there were several times where she could feel just menacing spirits in the room. And it really terrified her. And so um, she started praying. She started going back to church. And... She said then her father, who had been deceased, my uncle Jason, would started, started visiting her. And that, that gave that in prayer helped a lot to alleviate whatever evil presence was really preying on her mom. Like she could feel it, and it was, it was pretty terrifying. And so I, I love asking people about their family stories, and I feel strongly that were surrounded by family spirits. In ancient Hawaii, there's stories of amakua. Amakua is the soul of your ancestor that abides in an animal. And that animal is like your spirit animal. And in my family, that animal is the shark. Oh. So our amakua is the shark. And we have stories in the family. There was a ancestor who found a shark in a tide pool. So a tide pool is like the reef. You've seen one because you're from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And the waves come in and the ocean animal is kind of trapped in these rocks. Well, he found a baby shark and he fed it and raised it and he was able to call it in from the sea to feed. And so, you know, even more so than growing up hearing the story and Knowing family history, you know, that we have a lot of respect for sharks and uh, and the idea that your ancestors are close and that they want to be involved in your life and to help and protect you. So it's really interesting. I married um, a boy from Tucson and his family, I, I think, is really unique because they're very, just very warm people. If I, I would easily have guessed they were Islanders by just the depth of their affection for each other. They're just really a warm, happy family. And um, I got involved with genealogy. His mom was trying to teach me because I knew absolutely nothing. And so the first time I went to her house, all she had me do was make photocopies. So this is what I call my Google ghost story because... It's something that personally happened to me. It's it's not a story I'm retelling from somebody else's mm-hmm. experience. So I'm in the back room making photocopies, and I feel someone in the room, and there's no one there, and I hear the word Google. And it was funny because prior to going into that room, I my 
in-laws were both school teachers, and they had a lot of wedding invitations from former students. And I saw what looked like, for a while, it was really cool to have chocolate and cream, you know, um, cards and stuff mm-hmm. for graduations and weddings. So it looked like a chocolate and cream-colored wedding invitation. And I happened to pick it up. And I realized it was from the 1800s, and it was actually a death invitation to, like, a wake at someone's house. And I read the name because it was just a curious name. It was Hulda Ann Makins Thompson. And so when I'm in the back room making photocopies, and I feel this presence next to me, and she says, Google, I... That was the name that instantly came to my head, that that was the person talking to me. So I decided, okay, I'm going to Google. So I started Googling family names, and I didn't really find anything. And my husband walked in, and I asked him if he would, you know, start Googling family names, and I went back to photocopying. Well, I'm sitting there um, because it's in a bedroom, their their computer and their copier machine. Mm -hmm. And again, I've feel this woman's presence and it's so strong that I start crying and it's not pretty cry it's ugly cry (laughs) and my husband looks at me like what's going on and through my sobs I finally tell him you know your great great grandmother or whatever is in the room and she wants us to google and my husband is just watching me in tears so we go home I start googling And for 72 hours, it was like a floodgate of information on Google. We have these old family portraits. They're big. They're like, what, about four feet long, three feet long? What are they, Dad? They're big. And um, our family always makes jokes about it's the, you know, the portraits in the haunted house at Disneyland because they're huge. (laughs) Yeah. And um, we knew there were family And there was an argument over the family line, who these people were and how it was passed on from eldest son till my husband got it. And um, so, you know, we've been researching, trying to figure out who these people are. And so my husband, because of his theater background, said, okay, let's look at their costume and go from there. So we knew it was American primitive art. And as I'm Googling it, I find an auction for portraits that are very similar. And the, uh, the note says, well, the curator said that while the family thought this was like Civil War period, he goes, it's much earlier, and gave the date. of. And I, it was funny because the minute we got that date, we were able to go to the genealogy from a book I found online Googling. And figure out who these people were because one of the things that blew our minds during that 72 hours of my gosh, the heavens open and all this stuff is pouring on us is I found two books. One was old on old Masonic lodges and the other one was a book on eminent people and Lynn's, what is she? Third, fourth, fifth great grandmother. She lived to be 102 She was a little girl of nine when George Washington was president and rode through her town. And she was the child chosen to give him water to drink. So because she was 102 
and she had met the President of the United States, there are at least three different um, accounts of her life in that one book, including her genealogy line. And it went all the way down to my husband's father's grandfather, who fought in the Civil War. And then the second book was um, the Masonic Lodges, mm -hmm. talked about the Thompson Inn. The Thompson Inn was where um, Thomas Jefferson was nominated for president. It was one of the first taverns um, at Valley Forge. It was sort of like the the tavern you would get to right before Valley Forge. So it was an outpost. Yeah. And later on Googling, I found out that George Washington actually really slept at their home. He had lost a battle and they were, the army was going back to Valley Forge. They stayed the night at the home. And a couple of weeks later, the British come through looking for, you know, the, at this point, Lynn's ancestor is a lieutenant, mm -hmm. and they're looking for him, and he's sick. So his wife wraps him in bedding, and um, the family and servants help drag him outside, and they hide him in the woods. Wow. And the British are incensed that they can't find him, and so they set fire to the inn. They set fire to the Thompson house. Dang. So, I mean, That's in mean. 72 hours on Google we are finding a wealth of information. We can now trace my husband's his family history from like 1731 all the way to his father's grandfather and from there, you know, to Lynn. Yeah. And so it's mind-blowing. The whole time it's happening, I am sending like emails the entire time, the whole 72 hours about what's happening, what I'm finding. And then it gets a little spooky because... It's late at night. Everyone's gone to bed. I am still working on this stuff. I, I stayed up pretty much the whole 72 hours. And I'm all alone in the room with my computer, and I can feel the room start filling up with people. And it was, I mean, I got chicken skin. It was scary. Oh, man. And so I've got all these people, and it feels like they're looking over my shoulder. And so finally, I get up, I walk to the stairwell, and I yell upstairs to Lynn and said, Lynn Thompson, you come out here right now. Your family's here, and they're freaking me out. And so my husband goes running downstairs, and he stays with me because it was just too scary to have all these people I could not see surrounding me. Oh, <laughs> so, my goodness. Anyway, it was it was. 72 miraculous hours. And I was really glad that, you know, I was documenting and sending things out as I found it to the family because I have these emails of the experience. And so the next week we go to my mother-in-law's house and she's pulled out the pictures. Of, there's a picture of um, Annie Makins, who, the woman who spoke to me, and her husband. And so when Lynn brings them in to me, because I'm in the back room again making Xerox copies, um, I, I feel her again. I start crying, ugly cry again. Mm -hmm. And this time I hear, love, Rudy. Now, I have to tell you that during those 72 hours, I got in touch with cousins of my mother-in-law 
because she hadn't seen in ages. I got pictures that she had never seen from her side of the family. But the love, Rudy, I thought, well, I need to know who this woman is, right, in my mm-hmm. husband's genealogy. So when I looked her up, Rudy is my father-in-law, and Rudy is her grandson. And it was just, I it was just the best ghost story, spiritual experience, you know, that I've ever had. And um, so I have on my wall between the two portraits, it's called the Sanity Plaque. And I made a copy of the Thompson Inn from the Masonic Lodge book. And I made a copy of the genealogical pedigree and a picture of the actual Thompson Inn. And I have it in a a long frame with those three pictures. And I call that the sanity plaque. That is to remind me that as much as I want to doubt it, you know, and say that this stuff is, you know. Coincidence. um, Random chance, right? It's not. It's not random chance. You're surrounded by family every day. And sometimes we're just lucky enough to have someone fight their way through to, to speak to us, to talk to us, to guide us. Um, I asked Lynn to find out everything he could about Annie Makins, and he came back with the funniest story about how, um, well, her, is her husband Bugs, honey? Do you want to tell this story? No, he's telling me I need to tell it. <laughs> but anyway, we find out that she is a rough, tough woman, more than happy to cross the street to get into a good fight. And I just <laughs> laughed because I thought, yeah, that would be the kind of woman to bust her way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Through whatever wall separates us from our families. <laughs> hey, find me, gosh dang it. <laughs> so do you think so when... That is my Google Ghost story. That's an amazing story. Thank you so much. Um, Seriously, thank you. Do you think when you were being surrounded by Lynn's family... Um, do you think they were more curious about what you were doing or more just fascinated? What, what do you think their thoughts were while they were watching over your shoulder as you were laboring so much at this? Well, I can tell you there are some pieces that were wrong in the genealogy that my mother-in-law and father-in-law had been working on for a really long time. They had hired a professional genealogist and he told them that the person that was actually their relative, he had told them, well, that guy can't be the jailkeeper and the carpenter in town. So that can't be your ancestor. Mm. But because of that voice saying to Google and because I got online, I was able to prove that that guy was the carpenter and he was the jailkeeper. And the story about those portraits, the oral story tradition in the family was that the the family ran the jail and that this guy was an artist who had gotten into debt and thrown in jail. And so the jail keeper hired him to paint portraits of his mother and father so that this guy could buy, you know, pay back his debts and get out of jail. So we had that story about jail keeper. Well, when I read about the 102 year old Elizabeth Thompson, the lady in the portrait, who shook hands with George Washington. One of the other stories is that her grandfather was the first jailer 
of the North, I can't remember the town right now, of, of the jail in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she was um, given the job of sewing the hoods for a guy who was hung. And besides oh, wow. shaking, you know, General Washington's hand. So it talked a lot about their family. The tavern was actually the town's first jail. Then her family marries in, and her father's grandfather's the warden of the jail. And so that then made total sense that this family that we're reading about, this carpenter who's also the jailkeeper, that these were the same people. That even though that professional genealogist, you know, had the credentials, he wasn't correct. And I really felt like the family was leading us, those spirits, to the right answers, the correct people, the right names. In fact, one of my nieces text, uh, emailed me later and said, you know, Auntie, I found that like a year ago, but I was just too embarrassed to correct Grandma. So it kind of helped with those kind of things. So, yeah, they were curious. They just unnerved me because they were so close. I mean, you know how it feels when somebody's over your shoulder. Yeah, I can feel I like it. three people over my shoulder Ugh. and a room full of people behind me. And it was just very unnerving. Especially when you can't see anything. Yeah. I can only well, I imagine. I can tell you, it's been interesting because I don't have the gift of sight. I don't. But because of my aunt, Kawohilo, the one I told you about with my father's accident, mm-hmm. I know that that's a gift in the family. When I went to Hawaii talking to cousins, you know, I, I, the two people that I felt inspired to share my Google Ghost story with and to ask and to ask and to share with them the family stories, the ghost stories, both of them, that's their gift. They can see. And it, it, it was a nice experience because later when my own daughter had the experience, um, I was able to tell her that it was okay, you know, that this is a gift that has been, you know, generations apparently in this family. So we were living in uh, California And she was sitting down in front of a mirror just in her bedroom. And uh, she saw this blonde woman in pants and a shirt stand behind her and then just kind of dissolve. And she didn't say anything to us about it. Um, She was kind of embarrassed. Before they had told us about in the house we had lived in previously, she and her sister... And my mother both claimed to have seen a little um, Oriental woman. And the family before us was Japanese. And the room the girls were in was the mother-in-law's room. So, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, it's their imagination. I'm not really taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. But when this happened, and, I mean, she's, 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 this daughter is in my married daughter's bedroom with my son-in-law and my daughter and she's crying and she tells them what happened and then they come and get my husband and I, we sit down and she's sharing and she just really um, needed the comfort of knowing that this stuff does happen and that it's okay. And that, you know, some people it's their gift to be able to see and that she wasn't crazy and we didn't think she was lying. Now, I'm lucky because I have this 
the sanity plaque. I have something tangible mm-hmm. that I can hold to and say, okay, you know, this happened. This was a unique experience and it's okay. But she, you know, when you just see something and that was her, you know, like her second time seeing something, she was a little unnerved. And it helped that one of my best friends in California, that's her gift as well. She would see spirits sitting on her family couch and call her mother and describe them. And her mother, from the description of their clothing, could kind of tell her who she thought it might be. And uh, this friend has had many experiences. You know, it's her gift to be able to see. And her poor son, who is my daughter's friend, and that was another thing I could tell her, okay, you know Auntie has this experience. You know your cousin has this experience. In his case, uh, and this is Hawaiian auntie and uncle, it's my best friend. Mm -hmm. So in Hawaii, you call adults by auntie or uncle. Mm -hmm. You never call them by first names. So she... um, you know, she's shared these things with me because she knows I don't think she's crazy, that I know it's possible. And um, one of the stories that I really like was one that actually involved her husband. And, you know, this isn't his gift. So they're in bed. And her first two children, when they were born, she would see family members peering, you know, surrounding the crib, peering in at the baby. So one night as they're in bed and at the foot of their bed is the bassinet and she sees three family members and she's told her husband about this, but he's kind of like, ah, you know, he's not sure he believes her. Well, she hits him hard enough that he wakes up and he sees them and then they fade. And so they're telling me this story and I'm like, wow, that's so cool because I know what Tina's gifts are. And I also know that her husband is like, you know, doesn't really believe this stuff, but now he does because he's had too many experiences. And then their son, I mean, all of his siblings tease him about seeing Abraham Lincoln (laughs) because one day as a little boy, he came in and told mom, what's Abraham Lincoln doing sitting on the couch? (laughs) Wow. He had his mother's gift. He was seeing family sitting around the house. So it often makes me wonder, you know, what we're missing that um, family members might see that we don't. Yeah. That's really interesting. My mother always used to say when she'd see babies talking, you know, like somebody's next to them talking. Oh, yeah. That they really were. (laughs) Yeah. They're really talking to people. Yeah, I've definitely heard stories like that. Yeah, but I would, you know, I would, to anyone listening to this, please go home and talk to your family. I think every family, as I have shared this story, almost everyone has a story in their family about a situation. And in different cultures, there are different traditions. Like in the Hawaiian culture, if you hear your name called at night, you don't respond because nothing good is going to come from somebody calling your name in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's this great story. It's in one of the um, 
the Obake books, which are great Hawaiian um, family stories. And it's one about this young guy. He's out with his friends drinking. He's coming home late and he's walking home and it's near a, a, a cliff. And he hears this female calling him, beckoning him. And, I mean, she's just like, oh, come, you know, and promising him all kind of pleasure. And so he starts getting closer. But then he remembers he's really close to a cliff. Oh, and yeah. And so, you know, he steps forward, and then he stops, steps forward, and he stops. And then when he won't come any further, her voice starts getting meaner and uglier and scares him. So he runs home and he tells his dad and his dad has him pull down his pants and whips him on the butt and says, you never respond to a voice in the dark. Are you crazy? And so then they go out the next day. And they find the spot. And, yeah, had he followed the voice, he would have gone right off the cliff. Oh, my goodness. It's a good thing he and didn't. so I love hearing these stories. Every family has a story. So as my sister and my dad are sharing stories back and forth, the other story that I remember pretty vividly is she had spent the night at a friend's house. And in the friend's yard was this circle of dead grass. And... Mm. Um, she said that the family had a story about that because at one point they were going to, you know, dig up the grass and replant because it was, you know, kind of an eyesore. Mm-hmm. And as they were going to go work on it, these two old Hawaiians appeared and started scolding them in Hawaiian. Oh. And they didn't speak it, so they ran to the house to go get, you know, grandma. And when grandma came out, she, you know, spoke to the old people and told them that it was time to leave. And afterwards, she explained to the kids that they're standing on the spot where their grandson was buried, protecting him. And that that's why, you know, that spot's the way it is and that nobody should touch it. And so... Okay, I'm 12. I'm impressionable hearing these stories. Yeah. <laughs> but it gave me a real interest in hearing people's stories of the supernatural. And so when it happened to me, I think I was probably a little more receptive because I'd heard enough family stories to know that these things happen. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. This is going to be a lot of good material for the listeners. I hope you all enjoy oh this God. because this is this is some good stuff some right here. I great responses from people who have similar family stories. Definitely. And I was thinking that too when you said go home and ask your families about stories. I was going to say, and then when you get the stories, come back and tell us because <laughs> we'd love yeah, to hear please. them. please. I'd love to hear them. Yeah, Thank you so much awesome. for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm... I'm absolutely blown away by just the sheer awesomeness of all this stuff you've told us. We're going to have a lot to talk about once we get off the phone. Well, I'm glad and encourage them. Hey, Ancestry.com, just get on Google. I have a friend that's Japanese, and, you know, she's done everything she can with the records available on Ancestry. Uh-huh. And I told her, just Google and see what you got. Throw in some family names. And sure enough, she found a book with an article on her uncle 
you know, I would encourage family to go home, find the oldest family member you've got, and Google their name. See what you find. Yeah. So do what do what Malia tells you because this is this is really good advice for sure. I definitely need to not be so lax when it comes to family history. But whenever somebody asks me to do family history, I just go, "Ah, my grandma's done it all." And yeah. Anybody yeah. who really does genealogy is like, "No, she done hasn't." It wrong, and <laughs> they're waiting for a correction, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to get back on that. But seriously, Malia, thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate you coming on and telling these stories and talking to us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's it's nice to share with other people who are interested in these things. Definitely. Because they are real. You yes. hear a lot of sensational stuff, and then you hear these family stories that are just so, you know, there's an intimacy and a realness to them. Yeah. That um, they just fascinate me. So I love hearing other people share their family stories. Yeah, and we love we love all the stories, the spooky and the the uplifting. And I'm happy that a lot of what you shared was really uplifting because that's what I think this episode's gonna kind of yeah. gear more towards. I was lucky. Yeah, I have for a sure. friend who's um, they have a cold room in their house, uh-huh. and uh, it was a it was a cousin who is actually you know a very evil person, and uh, they his presence is still in the home. And uh, this is another friend who that's, you know, part of her gift is feeling. She doesn't really see or hear, but she can feel things. So, Mm -hmm. and, and her cousins do too. So, you know, you got these three little girls in the back room, just like, we don't want to be in this room. There's something here. It doesn't feel right. And it wasn't until they talked to, I think it was her mother that she explained who had who had lived in the house before them, what family members and what this guy was like. And I just, you know, stories like that, they just fascinate me. For sure. So I hope you hear some good ones from your listeners. Oh, me too. I am I'm really hopeful and looking forward to the response from this episode, especially. Well, thank you so much for calling in so late at night. I know this was kind of past your uh, past your bedtime out <laughs> there where you're at time, yeah. but we but we Gotta really appreciate you taking tomorrow. the time <laughs> <laughs> for sure well get some rest we really appreciate you you're super freaking awesome and if you have more stories please feel free to reach out again and we would love to have you back on okay they don't happen often but when they do they're memorable right oh absolutely <laughs> Go home, talk to your mom and dad, Jack. I'm sure there's a story there. I Now I have to. I definitely will. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> Take care. You too. All right. Bye, Malia. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. So good. So good. So good. Oh, man. This is going to be a great episode. It's going to be a long one. Oh, yeah, but I definitely don't mind. It's a lot of great content. I like... I know this is obviously biased of our podcast, but I really like when we have people on. I don't know if this is the second time that we've done that, but seriously, like, I don't mind listening to someone tell stories for, like, 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Because it's like, man, like, I know my stories are awesome, and I know your stories are awesome, but when someone I don't know says something and it's just, you know, it's so cool to just hear from other people. So I'm really grateful for Malia doing that. And seriously, guys, follow her advice. Go home and ask your family, ask your parents about a family story, a family experience, because you never know 
what you'll find. I'm going to go do that. Noah, are you going to go do that? I'm going to do that, yeah. Noah's going to do do that. <laughs> Bro, we're both having trouble doing it. <laughs> do doing it today. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, oh please do that. Uh, and then if you feel comfortable with it, please send us your stories. Yeah. Because that would be freaking fantastic. Because I don't know if, like, obviously at the beginning of this episode, it's kind of obvious what we've said. Um, we kind of talked about some things from last week of the Salem Witch Trials. So even if next week we're talking about something else, tell us anyway, and we'll share your stories. Yeah, or for we sure. we can, like, get a voice clip of you. And so there's never a bad time to talk about anything like this. So We will always include it because content is welcome. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So... Real quick, you've probably heard the term night marchers several times throughout this podcast. I mean, I brought it up in like my first episode. Yeah, you did. Um, and then she brought it up a few times. For those of you who don't know what night marchers are, they're a type of Hawaiian spirit. Hmm. They're thought to be soldiers. I'm sure we'll do a, like I said, we'll do a week on Hawaiian things. Well, I don't know what they are, so tell me. Uh, they're a Hawaiian spirit who play drums in the forests as they march. At night. Wow. Uh, they are also extremely violent if they oh, come across you. That's okay. Never mind. Yeah. It's like a, a deadly patrol. And so, oh, yeah, you can't you can't be around them. You can't look at them. So when she's talking about the spirits, like holding them down, making sure they can't look. I was going to ask her if they were if those were night marchers, but I forgot to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's I mean, it's pretty much what I think of when I think of night marchers. You don't approach yeah. them. You don't look at them. If they come across you, uh, bow down. I think the. The proper protocol is to like bow down and urinate on yourself to show utter submission. Too bad I just went. Like, just now? No. Oh. <laughs> on the walk home. Checks under table. <laughs> you okay, bro? <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's that's what night marchers are. They're an aggressive Hawaiian spirit. Huh. Don't if you're out at night and you hear drums and people chanting and walking through the woods, don't go to it. It's, it's kind a, of funny because bad idea. I, I, you mentioned this in like the first episode with like the Montana stuff. I told you, I was like, if you heard drums, we're leaving. So yeah. it's kind of interesting how yeah. it's both that same way. Because it's kind of, I'll tell you sometime, but it's kind of a Sweet similar aspect. It's a similar thing. If you hear the drums, something's coming mm-hmm. and you need to be in a place where you can't look at it. Okay. So, you know. Awesome. Interesting stuff. So these last few weeks, you can tell we've kind of gone upwards with our content, not not like in quality, even though I think in quality. It is in quality. But uplifting <laughs> and not spookiness. Yeah. I mean, first episode was kind of spooky. Second episode was pretty spooky. Mm-hmm. Third episode was just funny. It was just Salem Witch Trials. This week is more uplifting. <laughs> it's so funny. Salem Witch Trials. More, People dying. More, just because <laughs> it was ridiculous. More than anything, it was just, his, it was educational, historical, and funny. Yeah. Um, we're going back into the dark next week. Oh, boy. I don't know if I should tell you the exact topic, but it's not something we are going to approach lightly. No. And so you better you better buckle up and just for your own safety, listen with the lights on. Yeah, seriously. Like, we're not going to tell you, but we both have put a lot of thought in talking about this to each other. Like, is this something we really want to talk about? It's very sensitive. It's very intense. So we do, we do not want to joke about it. Yeah, that's why, like, if it sounds like we're being sarcastic, we're not. So, I mean, obviously for listeners, it's going to be entertaining. And for us, it's going to be entertaining as well to talk about it. But just know that next week, it's going to be, it's going to go back the other way. Instead of uplifting and positivity, we're going to go back down that hole. We're diving back into the void. Yeah. 
So join us. Noah, why don't you close us off? I would love to. Thank you for listening to us today. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our username is studiesinshadow. For all inquiries, you can reach us at our email at studiesinshadow at gmail.com. There's no spaces, no capitals. It's just studiesinshadow at gmail.com. The music for these podcasts has been composed and produced by Jack Rogers and Matthew Gonzalez. This has been Studies in Shadow. Thank you for listening and be safe.